Well, today we're, we're picking up back in Acts, following the story of uh, Paul, and we'll look at Acts chapter 16. Let me, let me do a little, uh, last week, a little catch up. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 9, the conversion of uh, Saul, now we'll call him Paul today, and after the conversion he went under, changed his name to Paul as a follower of Christ, and uh, Paul, you know, had, had joined with the apostles um, he had been chosen with Barnabas to carry out the work of the, uh, the church and, and preach the gospel uh, around the world, spread the gospel, and he'd especially gone to the Gentiles. And Barnabas had a wonderful ministry, and uh, they, had, they had shown, and Paul had already been fighting an axe at this point to say, hey, God's working in the Gentiles in powerful ways, and, and helped uh, Peter and the rest of the church see that. Uh, Paul had a little uh, snafu with Barnabas, just a little personnel uh, we should bring this guy with us. Uh, we don't want to bring that guy with us. And so they kind of went their separate ways. So Paul said, you know, I'm going to go with Silas. You go your way. I'm going to go my way. Still spreading the gospel. So that's where we find Paul now. Uh, Paul and Silas are carrying out the ministry of the church. They are preaching the gospel in the Roman areas to, to the Gentiles. And that's where we are going to pick up in Acts chapter 16. Starting in verse 16 as well, going to verse 34. One day as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought before them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing the city. And they are Jews and they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered that they be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all those who were in his house. At that same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. 
Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them into the house and set food before them, and he and the entire household rejoiced that they had become believers in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, would your spirit be here with us? Uh, Would you bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart? And may we experience Christ in these moments. May your will be done. In your name we pray. Amen. Freedom. What does it look like? What is freedom? How do we define it? Um, it's been fun having my, my parents here. I'm reminded of uh, you know, childhood memories. and It's weird some of the things I remember. Rebecca doubts my childhood memories. Uh, every time I bring up one, she's like, you don't remember that. No way. You know, it's like, well, you, I do. But just because she has a bad memory doesn't you know, fall <laughs> upon me. But I do. I have like really strong memories from my childhood. And one of them just kind of sticks out. I actually was just thinking about it the last days, thinking about my sermon and what we we're going to be talking about. I, I remember, I think we were talking about, you know, how we're blessed to live in this country and we're free. And uh, not every country is free. And I didn't really, you know, as I was probably, I don't know, five or six when we were talking about this. I didn't know what that meant. Um, and I said, well, what do you mean they're not free? I, I just couldn't imagine and what she, you know, I think in just telling a child, I think she said something like, well, they just can't do what they want to do all the time. And I said, oh, okay. But in my little brain, I thought, boy, that must be really hard work to have someone watching them all the time, you know, watching what they do. Because in my mind, not being able to do what I wanted to do meant my mom was looking over my shoulder, you know, not letting me eat candy or different things. So when I imagine people who weren't free, I just imagine people that had like a hall monitor at all times following them. I said, boy, that must be rough, you know. And then, of course, I, I grew up and found out uh, what we are afforded the freedoms in this country, and, and some countries don't have those freedoms. But how do we define freedom? Because even as we can talk about maybe political freedom and the type of government you have, um, there, there's so many t- different types of freedom we talk about in our culture and our world today, whether it be financial freedom, uh, whether it be freedom to do whatever I want. Uh, what is true freedom. And this morning, I I want us to think about this because if we talk about freedom and all as Christians, we have to think of it in terms of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul himself, later in a church uh, to the church in Galatia, he wrote in chapter 5, verse 1, he said, uh, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again, to a yoke of slavery. So Paul, even just talking to the Galatians in church, he says, hey, Christ came to set us free free. So what does freedom mean? Uh, What does it mean when we think about before Christ we didn't have freedom and now we do have freedom? Uh, If we talk about the work of Christ, we have to talk about freedom because in the very first sermon that Jesus preached in Luke chapter 4, he sat down in the temple and he read from the scroll of Isaiah and here's a portion of what he said. He said, the Lord has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. It's talking about freedom recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. Talking about freedom. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is the Jubilee. And I won't go into a huge amount. We're going to talk about it a little bit. But the Jubilee was kind of the the ultimate year of freedom where debts were forgiven, right? uh, Slaves had to be returned to freedom uh, every 50 years. The year of Jubilee, if you've never read those laws in Leviticus, read them. They're fascinating. It's a whole economic system about how 
uh, God's intention was for freedom for the people of Israel. So freedom, for the year of the Jubilee, Jesus sits down and says, this is why I've come, to set people free. So let's talk about freedom, what it means, the freedom of Christ. And I think we maybe sometimes struggle uh, to emphasize this, and, and I think sometimes outsiders of the church look at the church and they say, well, it doesn't always look like freedom. I think what outsiders, when they look in the church, they see rules. And sometimes that's on us because sometimes we talk about the rules too much about what you can't do when you come to Jesus. And that's what we emphasize. And we don't emphasize the freedom that we have in Jesus, right? So it's not just perspective. Sometimes we fail to talk about the true freedom we have in Christ. Uh, some people, they think uh, in our culture that freedom only comes that if you have freedom from religion, like they want to get away from religion, they see religion as a bondage in different things. And of course, we disagree with that. Uh, I would say just as a side note, that you can't be free without at least the idea that God gave you freedom, that God gave you, created you. Because without a God, if you, if you were really just truly kind of atheistic in your beliefs, well, then there's no such thing as freedom. All we are are atoms bouncing off each other, and we have no free will, right? Uh, so without God completely, there, there absolutely is no freedom. So we need God to have freedom, even just to have free will. But the Christian perspective is that, in fact, though, it's not just a belief in God. It's something that Jesus Christ came into the world to do in our lives, to set us free. Um, and our story this morning, I think story, as we tell the stories of scriptures, is one of the most powerful ways to understand these themes. So today, I just want to follow the story of Paul and Silas. We're talking about a jailbreak, right? This is action-packed. Uh, jailbreak, getting flogging, uh, getting released from prison. We're, so we're talking about freedom but I think this story will help us really talk about what does freedom in Jesus Christ look like? I'm not going to keep us here all day. We could go throughout all the scriptures and look at all the ways freedom shows up. But I just want to say, what does the freedom look like in Christ in this story? And I think it exemplifies it powerfully, right? And I'm just going to follow the story. So you may say, boy, he's going a little out of order what the freedom of Christ looks like. But I'm just going to follow the story. And we open the story. Paul and Silas, they're, they're ministering. They went to the place of prayer, and they've been uh, preaching uh, in the area of, of Philippi. They're staying with Lydia, one of the deaconesses of the church. And, uh, you know, they're preaching, and there's a girl, a, a young woman following them. Um, and we're told that she has a spirit of divination. In the Greek, this literally means that she has the, a spirit of pythos, the, the spirit of the python. Um, and that really ref reflects Greek mythology, uh, that Pythos, I won't go into it, the, uh, was a, a god that could tell the future. It was an oracle. There was a place that they'd go worship. So basically the Greek was saying, it was referencing Greek mythology, saying she had this spirit so she could tell people their future. Fortune telling, as the scripture says. Uh, but, it, you know, in our terms, she was possessed by the spirit. And, uh, you know, she was following them, though, that, that she did have some insight that she recognized these men as preachers of the word, that they were proclaiming the way of salvation to the people. But it, it seems like, you know, that may actually help out your preaching, that if you go to a town where you know nobody, and all of a sudden saying, hey, these guys know what they're talking about, listen to them, that may help out. But she was probably doing it so loud, so annoying, that Paul, uh, I love how the scripture's honest, he just gets annoyed. Uh, we're going to talk about the power of this, but I wish I could tell you his intentions were really noble, but he was human too. And, uh, you know, he was going around, he maybe couldn't get a word an inch wise. So he, he got so annoyed that he just turns to her finally after a few days of this happening and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command the Spirit to come out of you. And she, we're talking about freedom, she is set free from this. 
She is set free from this spirit. And really, she is set free from her captors. You see, what we're going to talk about today is freedom. Uh, the opposite of freedom is oppression. And uh, often in our world, when people are being oppressed, as they say, follow the money. And that's just the brass tax of it, and it's here in the scripture today. This woman was being spiritually oppressed, but people were exploiting her oppression. People were making money, men were making money off exploiting her oppression. Follow the money. And this is what the story really takes a sour note. That these men are so upset that they have lost their source of income that they take Paul and Silas to court. When people are set free, when the money stops flowing, when oppression stops, people aren't going to like it, right? And so they take Paul and Silas to court, and they say, and they just kind of make some stuff. They didn't tell the real reason, right? They say, oh, they're rabble-rousing, they're causing problems, they're trying to subvert the Roman system. Similar claims to what they claimed against Christ. And, uh, um, you know, the, the court listens to them. They uh, are flogged and severely beaten for the work that they were doing. I just want to stop here at this point in the story and for us to recognize that when we talk about the freedom of Christ, we aren't ta- only talking, we're going to get to this, we're not only talking about an inner reality, that the name of Jesus Christ, when the gospel is preached and it goes forward, it releases the bonds and oppressions of people in real life situations, that we can't turn a blind eye to where people are being oppressed in their actual lives, where people are being exploited for the benefit of others. We cannot turn a blind eye as the people of Jesus Christ to that. And the work of Jesus Christ sets the oppressed free, right? And this is, when we think about the commands of Jesus, this is close to God's heart. This is what we're talking about, the freedom of Christ. Uh, why does God command us to care for the widow and the orphan so much? These are the most vulnerable people that will be exploited and oppressed if they're not cared for. God cares about them and doesn't want them to be exploited and oppressed. So he says, care for them. If you want to talk about practical ways, like we mentioned the Jubilee, it was so practical. But that's the work of the church as well, that we set people free. That we say, uh, you know, we only care about your spiritual, and, but sorry, um, you're being exploited out in the world tough cookies. No, we don't say that. We say, we're going to stop that exploitation. We're going to stop that oppression wherever we come against it, because that's the work of the church as well. Um, and, and this is close to God's heart. Christ came so that we could be set free. The church has been on the forefront of, of many of these endeavors. We think of the abolitionist movement in the 17 and 1800s. Uh, a lot of the Methodists were involved heavily in that work because they felt like God was commanding them to set people free. Um, the church did major work in South Africa against apartheid, a system where enslaved and oppressed uh, most of the country. Uh, the church did heavy work to set people free. Uh, many of our, our stances of the church in Nazarene, we've always been people that cared about people being exploited. Uh, sometimes we, people kid us about our stances on alcohol, our stances on gambling uh, and tobacco, but really, uh, it's not that we're, we're scared of those things or it's a fearful stance. We hold those stances because we realize people, companies, are making billions and billions of dollars off of destroying people's health, taking their livelihoods, and enslaving them to the addiction of 
alcohol, right? And so we are concerned about those people. And, we, and who does that affect mostly? The poor and the vulnerable. Trust me, I've worked in, on the streets of Nashville uh, for many years, and I saw who was drinking most of the alcohol. It was the homeless, it was the poor and the vulnerable. All their money went to that. So that we as the Nazarene, the holiness people, have just said, we're not going to take part in that. We as the church of Jesus Christ cannot take part in the oppression of the poor and the vulnerable, no matter what it comes from. And, and, you know, the stance on gambling, we just said, you know, that's taking the money of who? Not the wealthy. You know, wealthy people don't go buy scratch-offs and pour their money into it. Poor, poor do. And it's taking advantage of them. That's the, the, the vision of a holiness people. Why? Because the name of Jesus Christ sets people free. The whole person in all their fields, right? Um, that's what we should fight. We should have our eyes set on that. Uh, there, there's so much oppression in the world even today that the church needs to be concerned about. But I want to highlight one aspect that we as the church need to be praying about. The church is already at work in. Uh, it's, an, it's a horrific uh, problem of oppression in the world today. Very much like this poor girl that was being exploited by her taskmasters in uh, Acts chapter 16. I, I don't know if you've heard of human trafficking. Human trafficking uh, is modern day slavery. Um, as certain estimates have over 20 million people globally are forced into work of their no one choice uh, for multitude of reasons, but mostly what is happening in that 20 million of people that are forced into work today, modern day slavery, is that they are in poor third world countries and uh, these men come into their neighborhoods and say, hey, we can get you a job in another country if you just come with us. Uh, and with the promise of job, promise of a better living, they go with those men and they realize that they are being forced into labor and they're not free at all. They're taken captive. The worst of that 20 million, uh, it's estimated about 5 million of those people, mostly women and teenagers, are actually forced into prostitution. Five million people around the world, they call this sex trafficking. This is one of the biggest money makers in the world today. Human trafficking uh, brings in an estimated $150 billion a year. $100 billion of that comes from the sex trafficking trade. This is one of the most grotesque forms of oppression in the world today that we need to know about and that the church of Jesus Christ must pray that these people be set free, but we also must work that they be set free. You say, Pastor, what can I do about that? Those are huge numbers. And you think if this is just a problem out there, do you know the airport of Atlanta is one of the biggest hubs uh, for the processing of people going through human trafficking? Uh, that is one of the biggest airports, and uh, they, they do stings down there all the time to, to free people from human trafficking. You see, Pastor, this is a problem bigger than me. It's so horrible, I can't even wrap my mind around it. It is. It's horrible. But thankfully, you're a part of a global denomination. You're a part of a church that's bigger than just us right here. And the Church of the Nazarene is taking part in fighting this problem and setting people free. Um, and so the Church of the Nazarene has asked us through our uh, umbrella, Marilyn, of Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. They have asked us to do a Freedom Sunday. We're talking about freedom today. And a Freedom Sunday to raise money for the Church of the Nazarene Ministries of Human Trafficking. So I, I want to do this over the next two weeks. I'm bringing this problem to us. I'm bringing the work of the church, and I'm just going to ask you this week to pray about what God would want me to contribute to the work of the church in Nazarene to fight human trafficking. Um, we're going to, uh, I'm just going to ask you to mark it on your giving next week. 
pray about it this week. Mark on your, and, and we'll have a, a, a bulletin insert next week. But the work, the Church of Nazarene has set up centers in Mumbai, uh, in India, and uh, I believe it was uh, Moldova. Two of the biggest areas for human trafficking where people are getting caught up because they're poor and they're looking for work. The Church of Nazarene has set up clinics and workshops, and we're training people. We're giving them skills to work so they don't have to believe uh, these tricks that go into human trafficking. Um, and so we're trying to draw people out of this trade. And that's where your money will go. If you market uh, human trafficking next week, it'll go directly to Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. Um, we are equipping churches in the Philippines. We are equipping ch- local churches in the Congo and uh, the Ukraine to train people so that they can spread the word of what this looks like, how to avoid it, and how to fight it. The, so the church is being mobilized. Why? Because this is close to the heart of God. This is the command. Because the work of Jesus Christ sets people free. Just as this young girl uh, was being held captive, men were making money off her, and, and Paul and Silas set her free. That is what the freedom of Christ means. Okay. So Paul and Silas, they, they continue. They pay dearly for what they did for this poor girl. Uh, they are tortured, essentially. They are uh, sentenced into prison. They are shackled hand and foot. They're in stocks in this prison cell. There's no way they're getting out. And they're bleeding, flogging. We've talked about when we looked through the Passion of Christ, flogging was a very intense punishment. It was torture, right? If that happened to me, I'd be having a panic attack. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, I'd be losing it, right? Um, I mean, we, we kind of were soft in the sky. I don't have to face that type of persecution, what are Paul and Silas doing in prison, shackled, just being tortured? What are they doing? They're praying and singing hymns to God. Can I tell you, that's another aspect of the freedom of Christ. That Paul and Silas are men that have been set free by the power of Jesus Christ in their lives. That the, the rod of the torturer, the shackles of their prison, the bars of their prison can't define their freedom that they are men so sold out to Jesus Christ, so freed in Jesus Christ, that their circumstances don't define who they are or how they feel, that they are able to still pray and sing praises to God in probably one of the worst situations I can imagine. Do you see the freedom in that? That when our lives are given over to Jesus Christ, that it's not how much money we have in the bank, It's not whether I can run a marathon or I'm laying up in a hospital bed. There is not my outside circumstances that define who I am. Because what I know is Jesus Christ has set me free from the power of sin and that I have a relationship with him and I find freedom in him. And that I may be going through a storm. I may be going through a difficult time. Life may not be working out how I plan, but I can still have what peace through the storm. I can still be sitting in prison having just been tortured and singing praises to God. Do you see the freedom in that? That these captors, these men, the magistrates, they have no power over them. This is what we, when we talk about uh, Christ sets us free from the power of sin, I hope there's a, we realize there's a practical nature to that. That not only do we not have to sin ourselves, but that the sin of others and the brokenness of this world doesn't any longer have power over us, Right? The sin of those magistrates and those men handing them over, they didn't have power over Paul and Silas. They were still singing and praising God. Just because you shackle me, tough cookies, I'm still blessing God. I'm still finding peace through this storm. 
I hope we have that same power, that same freedom. You know, Jesus, he, t- he talks about when someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. I hope you realize that's freedom, right? Sometimes we think that's just, oh, what, letting people walk on us. Do you recognize what turning the other cheek really means and meant in their culture? I don't know if we've talked about this. Uh, when you, uh, someone would strike you, um, what he's really talking about is someone would strike you with a backhand. When someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. So they would strike you on the backhand. That was a, an insult. That was to say, you're inferior to me. It was humiliating, or it was intended to be humiliating, right? And so your options were just to kind of deal with it or to fight back. Both of those options reveal that that person had power over you. Their sin had power to either humiliate you or to make you act in violence back. But what Jesus says is turn the other cheek. When you would turn the other cheek, now that person has a decision to make. Because now they can't backhand you again. You've turned the other cheek, so now they would have to go with the open side of their hand if they were going to strike you again. An open-handed strike or a fist that they chose it, um, that would be saying, you're my equal now. Um, because you only struck someone with the open hand or the fist as an equal. And so what Jesus is saying is, don't be a doormat. Don't respond with violence. Don't give in to the power of their sin. What I want you to do is stand up and say, you don't have power over me. Your sin, your violence won't define me because I am a child of God. And you're going to have a choice of handling that, right? You're going to have to treat me like an equal. That is freedom from sin. You're told to forgive. You're commanded to forgive because unless you forgive, you are held hostage by that anger and that pain. And when we forgive, we are given freedom. So freedom in Jesus Christ sets us free from the power of sin, both internally but externally, that no matter what's going on around us, we can know peace. You know, somebody comes jabbering at you, yelling at you, I hope you don't respond in kind. You're just, you're just showing that they have power over you. That you're just giving into the power of sin. Show your freedom. Say, have a nice day. You know, don't, it, don't give them freedom. We give sin so much power in our lives sometimes, even when we let it control us or make us have a bad day. There is freedom in Jesus Christ to refuse the power of sin in our lives. And that's what we see in Paul and Silas. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, there is available to you a peace. There's available to you a serenity that only comes from Jesus Christ. So that's, that's uh, freedom. That's true freedom that we find. All right, so uh, they, they're sitting in prison, and they're singing. They're, they're still, uh, against all odds, having a great time. And, and all of a sudden, though, God isn't done with them. God isn't going to let them as stay in the prison. And, and so an earthquake happens. This earthquake is so strong, it's not of natural uh, courses. It's, uh, it's a do- divine event to free them, and it shakes the foundations of the prison, right? And it, it's so powerful, it's so divine that their shackles even fall off, and everyone, the, the doors slide open in the prison, and everyone's shackles fall off, and they're given freedom. I don't know if that happens to you. If I've just been tortured, if I've just been shackled, and all of a sudden the door of the jail swings open, I'm probably going to run through it right? I'm, I'm out of there. That, that's, that's the movie we watch, right? If we're watching this on a movie, this is a bad jailbreak movie because I'm running out of there. Everyone's getting out of the prison, right? God just freed us. But what do Paul and Silas do? They don't run. They don't run. 
Now say they don't run A just because what we were just talking about. They already had freedom. The, the jail cell didn't define their freedom, right? Um, so God uh, throws open the jail cell, and they also don't run because this is the, the third form of freedom I want to talk about today. That when Jesus Christ sets us free, we have freedom for others. Is they realize if they run, that it's going to cost the life of the jailer. They realize if they leave that jail cell, that man will either be executed or as we see in the scripture, he's about to take his own life knowing that this was his responsibility to keep them in prison and he's failed at that and his life is going to be taken. When Jesus Christ sets us free, we no longer live for ourselves. When Jesus Christ sets us free, it's not that now I get to do whatever I want. No. The freedom of Jesus Christ, he sets us free so that we can serve others. Paul and Silas, they look at the jailer, they have compassion and love on him, and they say, hey, we haven't gone anywhere, don't hurt yourself. They've been given freedom in Jesus Christ, but they use it to protect the jailer. They give of their so-called freedom for the life of the jailer. Can you think of anything more Christ-like? That Christ came to give his life for us, and here Paul and Silas, they're giving up their so-called freedom to protect the jailer. And Paul later in Galatians writes this. When we talk about the freedom of Christ, we, we can't ever define it. Oh, I get to do whatever I want. Uh, Paul says later in Galatians chapter 15, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves one another. Do you hear that? That the freedom of Jesus Christ, the freedom that when we define uh, freedom much differently than the world, that freedom in the church means that I am free to serve my neighbor, to love my neighbor as I love myself. Think about, just let's take the seven deadly sins, almost every form of sin, but the seven deadly sins, they are all sins that are caring for ourselves. They're greedy. What are the seven deadly sins? Do you know them? Uh, Greed, gluttony, lust, sloth, laziness, wrath, envy, and pride. All of these, almost every form of sin, is the self-caring or protecting or trying to please itself, right? Before we come to Christ, the only thing we care about is ourselves. And really what the gospel shows is that's, that's true bondage, right? We're caught up in the prison of sin because only we can serve and only love ourselves. When Jesus sets us free from the power of sin, we are free to live for the other person for the first time in our lives, truly. A freedom in Jesus Christ is shown by how we love one another, how we serve one another. That is true freedom in Christ. And that's what we see in Paul and Silas. They have that. And that true freedom... It saves the jailer, right? The jailer sees that they wouldn't even run when they had the chance out of care and concern for him. And that so speaks to his heart that he falls before them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have that freedom that you have? I want what you have and I don't have it. What must I do? Can I ask you, what got the jailer's attention? Was it the earthquake? No. Was it the supernatural act of the doors flying open? Did that turn him to Jesus Christ? 
No. It was because Paul and Silas wouldn't run. It was because they were living their lives for others out of love for others. They wouldn't take their freedom at the expense of the jailer that he now came trembling at their feet saying, I want what you have. How do I do it? And they said, simply believe on Jesus Christ. Turn your life over to him and you will have the freedom. You will have the power that we have right here, right now. Can I tell you, if, if we're living Christ-like lives, if we're exemplifying the freedom of Jesus Christ, the true freedom of Jesus Christ, that people will probably come up and say, I want that. <laughs> That's worth more than gold and silver. That's worth than any freedom money can buy. I want that. That if we live lives like that, people will want to know, and we can point them to the source. The source is Jesus Christ. It's not by anything we did. It's because he came to set me free. Oh, it's, this is, this is, one of the most, actually, I think one of the most beautiful endings in all of Scripture. I hope we don't miss it. Because we see the evidence of the faith of the jailer so powerfully. That we're told next the jailer does what? This is the man that was tasked with imprisoning them and shackled them. What did he do? He goes and he cleans their wounds. He cleanses their wounds. He cares for them, their physical wounds. And what did the... Paul and Silas, they do and respond. They baptize him and his household. Do you see it? The water cleanses them both. One is acting in an act of love and compassion by caring and binding their wounds, and the other gives them the power of Jesus Christ by bringing them into the body of Christ. And then it doesn't even stop there. Then the jailer says, okay, we're part of the body of Christ. Come on home with me. Have a meal with me and my family. He sets out food before them, and there's just rejoicing, and there's a wonderful time. Just hours before, friends, just hours before, they were enemies. Just hours before, this was the man that was holding the sword, imprisoning them, holding them hostage, and now they are sitting around a table, blessing and praising God as one family. That's true freedom. That if we let Jesus Christ into our lives, we can be set free so that enemies are no longer enemies, but they can be joined into the, the body of Christ. It's beautiful, is it not? Let me ask you this morning. Do you know this freedom? This isn't just, uh, this isn't just you know, idealism. This is true freedom that is available to us. All we need to do is turn our lives over to Jesus Christ. I wonder if, if you haven't turned your life over to Christ, if you haven't chosen to accept the free gift of Christ and his freedom and his grace and his love and his forgiveness, just as the apostle said here, just as Paul said, believe on Jesus Christ, turn your life over to him, follow him, and you will have that freedom. But I wonder for those of us who have made that decision, who have been following Christ, I wonder still though, if we might hear some of these points of freedom and say, boy, maybe we'll feel the Spirit speaking to us. I, I need more freedom in that area. Maybe I've been letting others take away my freedom. Maybe I've been letting the darkness of the world, maybe I've been letting the conditions I find myself in, maybe that family situation just has me so distraught that I've given up part of my freedom in Christ. You know, I know it does sound cut and dry when I'm up here speaking, but if you just look at the letters that Paul wrote his churches, 
Corinthians, Galatians, and different things like that. The early church, they really struggled with what this freedom looked like, right? This is why Paul's writing these letters, because they had a hard time living this out. So there's grace for us that when we're not always living out the freedom of Christ, this is in Scripture. Paul was saying, hey, you know, this is tough, right? All of us probably need areas where spirit needs to, to advance Christ's freedom in our lives. Areas that Jesus would lead us to say, you know what, you need to you need to let go and let God in that situation. You need to accept the freedom that is available to you. So as we enter a time of prayer, I wonder, we, just the Spirit would speak to us and say, friend, there's freedom available to you if you'll just reach out and take it. This would make an incredible movie, except at the end of the movie, people are supposed to run out of jail free. And instead, this is a gospel ending. The enemies become friends where they sit around at the table and they enjoy the love and the fellowship of the body of Christ. I hope after today as we, we read scripture that we will recognize what the true freedom of Christ is versus the freedom of the world. It's something we say uh, is that God is totally free. When you go to theology, when you go to theology school, they, they make sure you know that God is the only truly free, utterly free being in the universe, right? But yet when we look at God, how has God used his freedom? For you, for me. The God and his infinite capabilities, we can't even imagine the freedom God has. And all of that, though, he took on flesh and gave his life so that you and I would know freedom in him. My only question is, how are you going to respond to that? Will you accept the freedom that God has given us? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, would your spirit speak to us? I pray for these good people gathered here. Would we know your freedom in all of its ways? Would you illuminate our minds and our thoughts as we come to you now and show us what your freedom looks like in our lives? In this time of prayer, uh, in this time of communion, would your spirit be present? May we experience Christ. In your name we pray, amen. As your, our server, servers come down, um, this, uh, we, I say it every week, that you don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, you don't have to look like us, talk like us, think like us. You could be a jailer at the prison for all I care. This table is the place, the only place really in the world that I believe is truly free. That when we come to Jesus Christ, all of us are invited to freely partake of his grace and his forgiveness and mercy. Um, so I just invite you down to the table to receive that grace. But when we come and we partake of the elements, what we say is this is re reminding us and this is proclaiming to us the sacrifice that Jesus made. And I hope we recognize as we come down and we receive the grace of Jesus that your freedom costs something. You say that freedom isn't free. Jesus Christ paid the price for our freedom. He suffered, bled, and died so that we may be set free. So if nothing else, may you come down with gratitude for the one who came and rescued us from the bondage of sin. When you come down and we just ask that you come out your side aisle and come and partake. You can dip the wafer in the cup. Uh, I invite you to take a time of prayer around this. Whether you want to pray before you come down, I invite you to pray at an altar about anything going on in your life. 
this is a time that allows this Holy Spirit just to work through us in a multitude of ways. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And after having broken it, he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. This is the grace that is free to us and has come to us so that we may be free. Come when you are ready. Let us continue to pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we are so grateful. I, I don't know where we would be without your grace and your forgiveness and your love for liberating us, for, for setting us free from the bondage of sin and darkness, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you did not uh, leave us uh, to suffer, and that you came and, and broke us out of jail. And so I just pray that we would honor you with our freedom, that we would use our freedom to serve you and serve our brothers and sisters, Lord, and that your freedom would shine through us. I do pray that no man, woman, or any power in this world, no height or depth of this world, no darkness or sin would ever have power over us. May your spirit protect us. May you protect our spirits. Uh, may you guard us. May you help us to to cling to your freedom, to cling to the cross, and to know your grace and your mercy at all times. May those who are going through difficult times, those who are going through the storms, those who feel like they may be even sitting in a prison right now, may they know your peace. May you uh, know your strength carrying them through the storm, whatever it may be, Lord. We know that you are able, and we know that your presence is with us now as we leave here, no matter what we go through. That where you are, Lord, there is freedom. Uh, so may we grasp onto that. Be with those who are struggling or hurting today. Be with those who have physical ailments, Lord. Uh, we lift up Carl and Christina. Remember them, Lord. We lift up Rose as she's still mourning her husband. We, we lift up Richard Banks' family as they are mourning his loss. And we are as well, Lord. Uh, bind up those wounds and, and help us to cling to the hope of Jesus Christ for them. Uh, be with those who have a family that have his illnesses, those dealing with a strep throat or, or, or cancer diagnoses or whatever it may be, Lord. Um, we lift up the family just down the road, uh, those children that has suffered that horrific shooting this week. May your protection be upon them. Uh, may you bind up their wounds. Would you help their hearts and their minds to heal from this tragic event, Lord? Uh, may you uh, protect us from such evil. Yeah, Lord, uh, we thank you uh, that we have a community of support here and we have a, a church of ministry that we try to reach out and love and serve our neighbors. Uh, may we be a place of Jesus Christ's freedom as we serve our neighbors and every ministry that we do, whether it be the preschool or the recovery ministries here, whether it be the food pantry or the neighborhood cookouts, whatever it may be, Lord. May people see something different in us. May we bless them. May we live lives out of love for the other because we have been set free from the selfishness of sin. Lord, would you be with our, our district superintendent, Greg Mason. Bless him for his leadership. Uh, be with the church internationally. And we especially lift up, as we've talked about today, the, 
the ministries of the church that are setting people free all around the world, both spiritually and physically and economically. We especially pray that you would break the chains of human trafficking, that you would bring the perpetrators to justice, Lord, that you would stop this practice wherever it is found in the world. May we take part in that. May we proclaim the freedom of Jesus Christ in every sphere of life. And may we give generously to support those who are doing the work around the world. We lift up our local and our state international leaders. May you give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties. And may we promote peace and justice wherever we can. Lord, we thank you that no matter where we live, no matter where we're from or what situation we find ourselves in, we have true freedom in Jesus Christ. May we cling to that as we pray, saying together the prayer your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? May you be a free people. May you enjoy your freedom. May you not take it for granted. May you know where it truly comes from. And may others see the freedom that you have. And may they know the same freedom through Jesus Christ.